0: Corinthians as we're going through the Route 66 and now again you have keep in mind that the Bible is one book but yet it, it is really 66 books so we're traveling through now we did start in the New Testament so if you're joining us for the first time tonight don't think you missed 39 of them and the beginning of the New Testament we actually started between the Old and New And We've gone through the books up to this point. We're at 1 Corinthians tonight, and we'll cover this book tonight, and then next week we'll get into 2 Corinthians, and that's going to be a great study next week. So as we get started, I hope you have your pages that we emailed to you, and you can keep up. I know a lot of people say, Pastor, you go so fast on Wednesday nights. Well, listen, I have to if I'm going to cover an entire book, but I would encourage you that if if I get going too fast then please do me a favor go back you can still find it it'll be uploaded you can watch it again and fill in any blanks we want you to feel fulfilled make sure that you get all the blanks filled in but most importantly is hopefully you're gaining a better understanding of these books of the Bible so that when you read your Bible study it and uh, again I'm not gonna ask tonight but I hope many of you joined me and read all 16 chapters of 1 Corinthians. It's a great book to read through. I finished the last few chapters this afternoon, and uh, this coming week, listen, there's less chapters in 2 Corinthians than there is in 1 Corinthians, all right? So be reading your Bible. It's good. It's healthy. It will help you. Now, as we started tonight, I always kind of give a heading. I, I call this book, 1 Corinthians, the book of instruction or the epistle, That word epistle, don't let that word throw you, it's just another word for letter, and that's what these books of the Bible are. They were letters to the churches, and we call them books, the book of 1 Corinthians. And so you notice here that it was was a a book here, this epistle by name, derives its name from those at Corinth, the city of Corinth, and those were the people to whom Paul was writing to. Here's a verse here, the second verse in the book. It says, under the church of God which is at Corinth. Now remember, a church is not a building. The church is the people of God, an ecclesia, called out assembly. So when it says under the church of God which is at Corinth, it's not talking about a building. It's talking about the saints of God that were there in Corinth that had gathered together, just like us tonight, whether you're here or you're watching us, we're gathered together we're Bible Baptist Church, we're in Pembroke Pines, Florida, and so notice here, it's the saints that were in Corinth, to them that are sanctified, the word means set apart by God, it says, those that are in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So, it notice here that the church, the church in Corinth, was founded by Paul on his first first visit to the city of Corinth. Now, when Paul went there the first time, you could jot this down, his visit lasted for about 18 months. So he spent about a year and a half. Now, you'll see that pattern still today. When missionaries will go to a city, they'll do the same thing, a biblical pattern. They will go and they'll begin to, 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 to sow the seed of the word of God, to tell people about the love of God they begin to witness to folks, and that's what Paul did. Paul went there, he started to see people saved, and he began to establish the work of God. And that's why he spent about eighteen months there. Because, listen, you you don't want to have a baby and then just leave the baby at the at the hospital, or leave the baby on the doorstep. You all these people that were being saved, they needed to be discipled, they needed to be taught and instructed. And so, listen, I'm going to tell you, out of all the Bible teachers of the day, Paul probably was in the top few to teach people about the Lord, and what an exciting thing that must have been to spend those 18 months with the Apostle Paul. Now, the church in Corinth was a large church, and when you study the book, it was made up mostly of Gentile believers. Now, remember, you have in the Bible Jews and Gentiles, and of course, anybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile, all right? So that's that's an easy way to distinguish it. So remember that the Bible teaches us when you get into the New Testament, because of the unbelief of the Jews, the gospel, the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it went forth to the Gentile nations. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't want Jews to be saved. Even in this day we live in, God wants all to, to come to repentance. He wants everyone to be saved. But the city of Corinth, these people that were... Hearing the truth of the gospel, the the vast majority of them were Gentile believers. They were people that were not Jewish. Now there were some Jewish Christians that were a part of this church in Corinth, and the Bible says here just to give you an idea of the of it being mostly Gentile believers. Look in chapter twelve there in your notes, know verse number two, where Paul says, "Ye know that ye were Gentiles, and he says, carried away unto these dumb idols." even as ye were led. So you look, all of us in our lives, before we got saved, our life was lived for ourselves. It was, we were chasing after the idols of this world. And the Bible says we've turned from those idols and turned unto the living God. So Paul gives here how that they were Gentiles, that they were being carried, they were led astray by the things of this world, just like us today. Now the members of the church in Corinth interesting here notice this verse they were mainly of the poorer class 1 Corinthians 1 in verse number 26 look at the verse it says for ye see your calling brethren how that not many wise men after the flesh not many mighty not many noble are called he's he's really alluding to the fact that now it's sad today and i've known this to be true even in my my time that i've been in ministry that that listen God is not a respecter of persons, and when it comes to a church uh, doing what is known as the Great Commission, God wants everyone to be reached with the gospel. It's sad that there are some churches that basically will only try to reach a certain status of people, Uh, people that, that actually have money, people that have... Maybe uh, maybe a, a pedigree or whatever. They they're educated people. Why? Because because they know that people that like that have money and and that they, you know it's all about uh, the the prosperity gospel and things like that. Hey, listen. When you think about this, God wants everyone to be saved. I have found that people that don't have as much oftentimes are much better givers than people that do have a lot. Uh, when I traveled a lot and I'd go into certain churches you know, it was always the smaller churches that gave the larger love offerings than the larger churches that had more people. And it's just an amazing thing here. And so, again, when you look at this church, again, the description, and this isn't Paul's words, it's the word of God, it's basically helping us understand that it was mainly, the church in Corinth was mainly of the poor class of people. Now, under the Romans' uh, rule at this particular time, the city of Corinth and this church, of course, was situated in the city. Corinth was a wealthy seaport city, seaport, and it was given to much luxury, and along with that, there was much immorality, and there was also a lot of heathenism. Now, heathenism is just another way to say paganism, given over to pagan practices and, and a lot of bad things there. I, again, if you're reading your Bible and you read through this, You understand a lot of the paganistic practices. Now remember this, when people get saved, how many of you got saved as an adult? Anybody got saved as an adult? So about about maybe a third of the hands here went up, maybe some of you at home. I got saved when I was 20 years old. Now think about this, when a child gets saved, their, their life is young. They haven't experienced, they haven't gone through so many things. But once a person becomes an adult and they're making choices and they're following after the things of this world, when they get saved, remember that they have to turn away from the life that they were once living. So sometimes when I talk to people, maybe it's not a good thing to use this terminology, but I'll say that when when that person got saved, there was a lot of baggage. There was a lot of things that was in their head. There was a lot of things that was in their heart. That was, that was their life. Their life was given over to all of these sinful things. You, you know what I'm talking about? And, and, you know, again, listen, we're all saved by the grace of God, but here's the thought tonight is when you think about this church, uh, you know, w- when I go out and I knock doors here in our community and I, and I meet somebody, <laughs> very few times do you knock on a door now now one of the, one of the ladies that 's sitting here tonight, I knocked on her door it 's probably been what about a year and a half ago now, maybe, and she 's been very faithful and her husband has some health challenges or he 'd be here and and we just uh, I just to me I, 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 every time I see her, it just renews my my confidence that God can lead us to people and and I remember I knocked on her door and i started I started telling her about Bible Baptist Church, and man, you need to come and enjoy and she says yeah i used to be, i used to come and i looked at her and said what do you mean you used to come she said i used to come to the church i said bible Baptist? she goes yeah and she told me brother guy that the last time that she came was the when pastor brown passed away and and i was like wow and we we had that conversation i still remember it i remember her in her house her husband walked up behind her and so here she is she's a part of our church that is rare to run into somebody like that. Most of the time, you have somebody that is so steeped in sin that as we say sometimes, you have to get them lost before they can be saved. They have so much in their life. And listen, that's the average person. Most people you run into, they've they've tried this religion, they've gone to this church, they've dabbled in this, they've been a part of this. and And honestly... Folks, that is reality is we, we're running. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because these are the people that Paul found when he went to Corinth that he began to minister to when he was in Corinth. That's who Brother Lewis is going to find when he goes down to Miami Lakes. He's not going to find people like Miss Martha. Now, God may give you a family or two, and I hope he does, and most times that does happen. But most of the people that we find here and he's going to find there and our missionaries on the field are people just like these people in Corinth, that that it was all about living their life for money and for luxury and, and all the immorality that they were a part of, the pagan practices. I want you to notice the map here because a lot of times when we talk about Corinth and some of these churches in our Bible, many times if you look at that map, do you see up top in the middle there, see the word Macedonia? everybody see that? Then look right down below that, see the word Achaia. See those two? A lot of times in the New Testament, in some of these books, we hear of Macedonia and Achaia. Remember the Macedonian call that Paul had, come over into Macedonia, right? And I think a lot of times we, we need to understand this. Now, if you notice, you can see Philippi up there, you can see Thessalonica up there, Berea up there. Notice over Uh, notice, see the word Corinth right there in the middle towards the bottom, all right, right below the word Achaia, and then if you look straight over from that, you see across the sea there, notice the city of Ephesus, okay, now, the one thing I want you to see is, if notice there where the word Achaia is, and then see where that body of land is right below it, but there's some water right there, everybody see that, okay, go to the next slide there, because I want you to see this, because when you look at this, there was, that's really an isthmus, and what they would do is, notice the sea out there, that what they would do is instead of going south, going all the way around, down underneath of that entire body of land there, what they would do is they would come in by ship, and they would, they would travel that water, they'd come down, and they literally would take, take everything, including the ship, out of the water, and they would take it across the land, they put it back in now, guess what was there where they took everything out of the water and then carried it up the city of Corinth was right there it was position it was a seaport city, and it was very it was a very uh, positional it was a great city for all these things coming right by now it 's kind of interesting because years later they actually uh, like like the uh, Panama Canal they opened that up to where now they don 't have to do that anymore. But I wanted you to kind of mentally understand a little bit about where Corinth was, how it was positioned. Now, here's an interesting statement from the day. This statement is to live like a Corinthian. They actually said you're going to live like a Corinthian. It meant that you were going to live a, a reckless life, a life of sin and wickedness. That's what it meant to live like a Corinthian. Uh, do you know that some cars today, they talk about cars uh, that some of the leather in them, it's Corinthian leather. Uh, they still talk about Corinth in many ways. And so to live like a Corinthian was to live recklessly and in sin. Now, the occasion of writing this, let's get into this a little bit here. That Notice here that while Paul, remember on the map, that while Paul was in Ephesus, he wasn't in Corinth, he was actually over across the sea, uh, in ephesus from corinth while he was there he received some news it was actually disturbing reports concerning moral carelessness among the members of the church in corinth now listen no pastor uh, or church planter likes to hear a, a report about the members of the church especially immoral matters about the church and so when paul heard this his heart really just kind of hit the floor. He was very concerned because he loved these folks. And so what did he do? Well, this is where the the book or the letter of 1 Corinthians comes in. See, that's look here, that's the reason I didn't cover 1 and 2 Corinthians both tonight because both books are for a different purpose. There's a different occasion of both of these. Now notice, Paul wrote to them a sharp letter. Now you have to understand, The Apostle Paul, the the man of God that he was, he writes them a sharp letter that demanded that they would withdraw from their immoral behavior. And now, again, I'm sure he did it in Christian love, but listen, he was very firm. He was very uh, bold with them. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 9. He says, I wrote unto you in in an epistle not to keep company or not to company with fornicators. Now, again, why does he use the word fornicator? Because this is the life that many of them were living before they got saved. Uh, Fornication is basically having sexual relationship with somebody else outside the bonds of marriage. And Paul says, listen, these things ought not to be for the child of God. By the way, that's still true today, that every one of us need to understand that that listen, when, if we're not married, there ought not to be those relationships outside of the bonds of marriage. And so, I, and I, by the way, I know that's not popular in the world we live in today. But that's the Bible, folks. That has not changed with God. But Paul says here, look, he says, I I I, I know that when it comes to the Word of God, that you should withdraw from this behavior. Now, I will tell you, as you read on in the book. And of course, even later on in the Word of God, you find that his letter really didn't improve the the conditions in Corinth. There were still many things that had to be dealt with. Because, listen, just because Paul wrote to them, and remember, Paul's writing God's words to them, that even though we heard on Sunday, even though God says, Look, I'm going to tell you, but you will not believe it. So, listen, for him to, to send that letter to them, yes, some of them probably corrected their behavior. And some of them probably just continued right on in. Because, listen, I know this, that when people get saved, praise God that they get saved, but we all know that there's going to be some struggles in the Christian life, and that the flesh is weak, and and the devil is going to continually try to tempt us and and cause us to, to stumble and fall. Listen, all those things are a reality, and Paul writes to them and tries to help them. Now, it says here in your notes that visitors from the house of Chloe actually brought news to Paul and notice what they the news that they brought to Paul about what was going on in this church. Notice here, they, they told Paul about how that there were party divisions. Now again, you, you have to understand you, when you read it, I think it's chapter three. Remember where the Bible says in 1 Corinthians three where it says, some said, well, I'm of Paul. And some said, I'm of Apollos, you know? They, they, they were, look, instead of following God, they were following individuals. <laughs> Folks, look, don't follow me. If I, I, if I say anything, uh, have the spirit of Paul, follow me as I follow Christ, all right? That's the spirit and attitude. But he, th- they wrote to him and they brought Paul news about some of the divisions that were among them. He, they also told Paul about the carnality, again, dealing with the flesh and the immorality that was going on in the church in Corinth among the members. They they we 'll talk about some of these in just a minute, but they talked to him about some of the litigation that was going on, some of the legal matters of marriage uh what was going on uh, you Listen, you have to understand many of these people because of the uh, prostitution male and female that was going on Listen, if you want to read you can find uh, you can google you can find uh, the 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 immorality in the city of Corinth was just. It was, it was unbelievable. Many people had been married probably 10 or more times. Divorce was rampant. Uh, there were a lot of times where there, there was no marriage anymore because they had been through so many upheavals in their life. And so they told Paul about some of the separation. That, look, they even dealt with the partaking of the Lord's table. Remember how many times when we have the Lord's table, where do I go whenever we have the Lord's table? 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and and he instructs them, hey, look, we don't come together at the Lord's table so that we can eat a meal. That's not the time that you, you know, you, that's that's not the purpose of the Lord's table. And again, the, the instruction needed to be given to them in chapter number 11. And then he also had to, had to correct some things, some misunderstandings about the resurrection. Now, I, I put it there in your notes. I want you to see this. And you can go back and look at all these things. Notice chapters 1, 2, 5, 6, 7, 11, and 15, all of those chapters. Now, listen, that's, that's about half of the chapters of this letter to those in Corinth, all these major things that, that were news that was brought to Paul. And notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 1.11. As you think about this, the Bible says, For it hath been declared unto me of you. In other words, I got, I got news from the house of Chloe He says, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are, notice the word, contentions among you. Now the word contentions means quarrels, there's debates, there's fighting, there's variance, there's strife. Listen, you have to know that when the church is together, and and as the Bible says in the book of Acts, you have that you're in one accord that you're going in one direction with one mind and one heart serving the Lord. You have to know that the work of God is going to go forward, that people are gonna get saved and good things are gonna happen, but when there's strife and there's fighting, nothing good's gonna come out of that. The devil loves it. Matter of fact, he's the one that tries to stir up you know, the, the, and, and cause strife and division. I praise the Lord for the spirit of our church, listen, I'll tell you, uh, I've had that in past ministry. And listen, I hope that I never see that again. But listen, many churches have the contentions that are going on. And this is the church that Paul is writing to that we read this book called 1 Corinthians. There were contentions among them, Paul, Paul says to them. Now notice the contents here as he writes to them. Notice these key words here. The apostle first rebukes them. For their schisms and their divisions. In other words, uh, some with this man, some with this man. He rebuked them. Then notice, he reproves them for going to law with another believer before heathen courts. Listen, can I tell you? If you're a Christian, and there is something that is not right between you and another Christian, do not, do not take them to a heathen court. Uh, Listen, Nothing good will come out of that. Understand, God wants us to come together as Christians and settle matters in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Then what, does he, what did he do? Notice he answers several questions, and he resolves several cases concerning marriage. He touches on things offered up to idols. This was huge because so many of these people were steeped in idolatry. And, and Paul says, look, he says, look, I get it. He says, I realize that they offer some of these meats up to idols in the city of Corinth. And Paul understood, because he wasn't given over to idolatry, that that meat wasn't bad for him to eat. But listen, if he ate it and other people that didn't know, if he ate it in front of them, he would cause other people to stumble. And Paul says, therefore, I choose not to eat that. And Paul says, I don't want to be a stumbling block to other people. By the way, Uh, People say, well, that infringes on my liberty as a Christian. No, our spirit should be, we want to help those that do not know Christ. And so he writes to them, and he encourages them. Notice some other things that he did. Uh, He talked to them, and again, this may not be popular, but he talked there in chapter 14 about women's position in the church. He talked about conduct that's unbecoming at the Lord's table. He observes and corrects irregularities, and the use of spiritual gifts. Boy, this is still huge today. You think about the charismatic movement today and how so many people misunderstand that even the very word Uh, tongues in the Bible speaks of this matter of languages if you study it out I just read that chapter today I don't know how people confuse that chapter to me it is so very clear when I look at that but we need to understand these pneumatics, these spiritual gifts that God gives to us and then notice he also proves the doctrine of the resurrection and then he encourages a collection in chapter 16 those first three verses for the poor saints and of course there's many other things that he did and, and you could kind of digest all that. What did I just go through? I just gave you a synopsis of the entire book of 1 Corinthians. That's what that paragraph was. And it took me three slides to get all those words on there. So I hope you got them all. You can go back and read that. Now, uh, I think I have a little uh, chart here. Look at this chart for just a minute. I want you to see this because really what the book of 1 Corinthians deals with is problems. <laughs> Guess what? If you have people, you're going to have problems. Uh, I, a lot of times pastors say, man, I just have so many problems. I just wish I didn't have any problems. Well, the only way to get rid of problems is to get rid of people. I'd rather have people, and along with people come problems, <laughs> all right? And so somebody said, my pastor used to have a sign saying uh, that the gospel attracts strange bugs. Well, yes, it does. And, and listen, we want to try to help people. So notice here, if you can see that, that I want you to see right in the middle, it talks about some of the divisions and some of the depravities and some of the disorders, and, of course, the difficulties. Look, every church is going to experience that, but the church in Corinth certainly did. And notice how it's divided from chapter 1 to about chapter number 6. It deals with problems of the congregation, things that were going on among the members. When you get to chapter 7 to about chapter number 10, it deals with personal problems, various issues that Paul was trying to help them with. And then notice, then it gets into, Worship service problems. That's where you get into uh, this matter of the Lord's table and some of those other things. And then the last part there deals with problems about the resurrection, which we covered a lot of that. But you look at these divisions, and again, I, I think it's real important that we kind of understand how this book, this letter, is put together. You See, what I love about the Bible is I love, I love the God of the Bible because God is a God of order. When you study this book, just like other books, we looked at the book of Romans last week, that these books are written in a particular order, line upon line, and it's important that we see how that they are put together. Now, let's talk a little bit about the character of this. Of course, we've been talking about the fact that it deals with the church. So it's a letter, it's a church epistle, and that's the way we need to understand it. The subject behind this particular book, this is very important. Look at this, the vital relation of every member in Christ's body to the head now who's the head of the church jesus says right the bible tells us that he is the head of the body and so look every one of us need to have the right relation to the head because we are his body. Now, the, it also deals with the sad result when the members of the body do not care for one another the way that they should. And just like we heard mention about Brother Greg, listen, we ought to pray for one another, care for one another, help one another. And this, this is what the subject of this is. Now, a great verse here to help us understand this is not found in 1 first, in first Corinthians. It's actually found to uh, those in Ephesus As Paul was writing there, notice Ephesians 4.16 says, From whom the whole body, look at these words, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. I just want to pause here and say, every member of the body is important. Every member. Just like every part of your body. Listen, your pinky is important to your body your big toe is important to your body. And it says here, look at it again, that every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body, and watch this, all working together unto the edifying of itself in love. That's why, look, we have to understand that this isn't our, your church, this isn't my church, this is the the church of the living God. This is his body, he's the head, and we need to make sure that we're working together and we have the right relationship with the head of the church, which is Jesus. Now look at the purpose, three purposes that Paul writes to this church, these believers. First of all, we mentioned this, to set the conditions right, which the Corinthians took lightly. But notice Paul's attitude and spirit about what they were taking lightly. Paul regarded what they were doing as serious sins. You know why? Because he viewed it in light of the scriptures. See, they they thought, well, hey, look, it's not a big deal. You know what they were doing? They were thinking back to what it was like before they got saved. But when you and I become a child of God, everything changes. And Paul was trying to help them understand by setting those conditions right. Notice, secondly, Paul also writes to answer some questions that were put on him they they began to ask him some things by the way i still call uh, my pastor i still ask my pastor some questions my my pastor that i was saved under i still ask him from time to time As a matter of fact i asked him a question today on how to make uh, how to make a we're, we're talking about having a couples retreat and we're wanting to do a meal and i and i called him and said hey Uh, preacher tell me again how you there was this meat that he would do and it was awesome I know that's not a doctrinal thing but we're Baptists; we eat all right and so so I asked him some questions they asked Paul some questions and then notice thirdly to give some doctrinal teachings particularly on the resurrection in chapter number 15 so Paul listen he wanted to make sure they understood the Word of God the doctrines of the Word of God uh, Brother Lewis here, he's going to have to basically start it at square one uh, when he starts reaching people with the gospel. One of the challenges of a pastor that's been pastoring now. Uh, here for six years is, listen, some of you have been here under the teaching of the word of God these six years. Somebody might walk in Sunday and they just get saved. Listen, I need to try to help that person understand. That's why we're constantly doing discipleship and other things to try to bring new believers along. That's what Paul was doing. Listen, after spending 18 months with them, he was having to go, watch this, go back and, and remind them again. You know why? Because people don't get it the first time. People don't get it the second time. People don't get it the 600th time. You have to continue to teach the word of God, and that's what Paul was doing. There's the purposes. Now, look at this outline. I I just couldn't figure an easier way, but notice the the words that are similar for all 15 of these points of the outline is the problem of. (laughs) That's what the outline, that's what the book is all about. Now, look at this. Chapter 1, the problem of divisions in the church. We've already covered that. Some were of, of Paul, some of Apollos. Then in chapter 1, he and going into chapter 2, the problem of worldly wisdom. They wanted to trust what they had to think about certain things because they were educated, they knew better than Paul did. There was a lot of philosophical uh, things out there, and that's why Paul had to stand many times like he did on Mars Hill and, and to set things straight according to the Word of God. And so the problem of worldly wisdom, we, listen, we're not interested in the wisdom of this world. We're interested in God's wisdom is what we're interested in. And that's what he was trying to help them with. When you get to chapter 3, he dealt with the problem of carnality. And again, the problem of the flesh. Chapters uh, 5, he deals with immorality in the church. Chapter 6, he dealt with bringing a fellow believer to court, in in a heathen court. Chapter six, in the last part of it, he deals with the problem of fornication, people having relationships, physical relationships outside of marriage. Chapter seven, the entire chapter there, he deals with marriage and divorce. And again, boy, there's some great teachings there in that chapter. Chapter eight, he talks about meat that's offered idols. Chapter 11, he gets into the roles of men and women as you read the Word of God in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to understand our role. In chapter 11, the last part of it, he deals with the problem with the Lord's table. Chapter 12, he gets into, like in Romans chapter number 12, the the problem with spiritual gifts and how they misunderstood the spiritual gifts, many still today. Chapter 13, we often call it the love chapter, okay? And listen, he keeps using the word charity, And if we have all these things and we do not have charity, then listen, we don't have what God wants us to have. He deals with that. Chapter 14, he deals with speaking in tongues. Again, the misunderstanding there. Listen, what good is tongues if nobody can understand it, all right? And even even on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says they were speaking the wonderful works of God. They weren't speaking some gibberish that nobody else understood. They were speaking known languages of the day. And Paul sets that straight there as God helps him. Uh, Notice number 14 there, the problem of the wrong teaching about the resurrection of the dead. Listen, he says if there is no resurrection, then he says our faith is vain. Folks, if there isn't a resurrection, we might as well lock the doors, turn out the lights, and go home and not have church but i'm telling you we serve a risen savior and that's what he dealt with in chapter number 15 and then in the beginning of chapter 16 the last problem that he addresses is the collection for the poor saints in jerusalem jerusalem was the original church where the gospel went out from there and paul deals with that and you say wow pastor that's a lot of problems yeah i'm glad paul was pa- helping to pastor that church to deal with that And uh, by the way, we still, from time to time, even here at our church, I try to help people. And listen, the one thing we want to do is take the Word of God. That's what Paul did. Paul didn't say, well, this is what I think, or this is what Paul says. Let me tell you what the Bible says. Let me tell you what the Word of God says. And that's why I love being a Bible-believing church, because when people ask, that's what I do. I just told uh, the, the man that pastored our church for many years, I said, you know what I try to do every week? I just try to preach the Bible, teach the Bible. I said, I find that when I teach and preach the Bible, I keep myself out of trouble. And I says, and when I get into trouble and somebody starts to come at me, I'll say to them, listen, if you have a problem with, with, with that issue, then you really are talking to the wrong person. I think you need to talk to someone else. And, uh, and so I just kind of pass the buck to the Lord, all right? <laughs> and so there's a lot of issues, a lot of problems here. Of course, the writer in chapter one is Paul. And the Bible says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. Even in the end of this letter, he reminds them that this was written at his own hand. And so Paul is the writer here. When and where did he write it from? I already mentioned that he was in Ephesus. He wrote it about 55 A.D. This was at the close of Paul's ministry there. And the Bible says, look at Acts 20, 31. Therefore watch and remember that by the space, look at this, of three years... I cease not to warn each one of you, every one of you, night and day with tears. And so Paul ministered, he labored there, and he tried to help them for a period of three years. The key chapters, mention mentioned these already. Chapter 13, the, the key there is love is the way of the Christian life. And chapter 15 is all about the resurrection, which really speaks of the victory that we have as Christians over death. The, the key verses, look at verse two, or chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. I don't know if you've really paid attention to these two, two verses, but look at this. But we speak the wisdom of God, notice this word, in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Boy, that makes sense to me is that if they really understood who Jesus was, they would have never killed him. They would have said, hey, listen, stay with us forever. But they did not understand that. And again, this was the mystery, and it was the hidden wisdom of God. And by the way, it was not plan B for God. It was, notice here, God ordained it before the world. So this was always God's plan that his son would give his life for the world. The key words in the book, the the word spirit, talking about the spirit of God, is mentioned 56 times. The word body, now the word body is not talking about our physical body, it's talking about the body of Christ. It's mentioned 46 times, and then the word wisdom, again, talking about mainly the wisdom of God, but it also deals with this matter of the worldly wisdom. It's mentioned 18 times. The key phrase is actually the verse, verse 1 Corinthians 14 and verse uh, 40, let all things be done decently, and in order, can you imagine if Pastor wouldn't have orderly put this together for you tonight on a piece of paper and on these slides? <laughs> Some of you right now are going, Pastor, I'm gonna have a hard time keeping up with you the way it is. Can you imagine if I wouldn't have ordered this, and it would have been a, it would have been a train wreck? All right, so I'm hoping that maybe it's orderly enough that you can keep up. And the key thought, of course, here it is: church order. Uh, when people come to our church, you know what I want them to experience: a church that's orderly. When people come in, they don't want church to be a rock concert or chaos or people screaming and hollering. There needs to be order in the house of God. The spiritual thought is come to God for all gifts. Remember, all gifts cometh down from above. And God is the one that supplies all those. This is what the church in Corinth needed. It's what you and I need, is we need God to gift us, and certainly he does. I love this thought. How is Christ seen in the book First Corinthians he is the first fruits of the dead. That's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 15 20. Now is Christ risen from the dead, and he's become the first fruits of them that slept. And so, even Thayer, a man that, that really did a lot of studying the Word of God, he defines first fruit as a couple different ways. First fruits can be to offer firstlings or first fruits. And of course, the Bible mentions that we should bring. Uh, what we have to the Lord, and that's what it means there, to bring uh, firstlings or firstfruits. The second definition he gives, and this isn't in your notes, it's just free tonight, is it, to take away the first fruits of the productions of the earth. In other words, it's talking about like your harvest and things like that. It says here, and these things were offered to God, the first portion. Listen to this, even the dough that they used to make in the Bible, they would give the first portion of that dough to the Lord, uh, those sacrificial loaves. Remember the Bible talks about uh, those loaves that they put in the, the tabernacle and in the temple, the showbread, it's called. And then and then the third definition that Thayer gives for first fruits, listen to this persons superior in excellence to others of the same class. Well, who's superior above everyone else? Jesus. He's the first fruits of them that slept. So the Lord went on before all those uh, uh, that will follow him someday now let me conclude this and I'm I'm gonna go through this and I'm just gonna kinda read it but I want you I know you may not be able to ingest all this but God just kinda brought me back to this place because I really believe there's great application to the world we live in today when you study the book of the letter first Corinthians and think about the world we live in today and hopefully this is not you but I want you to understand the kind of world we live in today. So notice here, Corinth was not much different from our world today. It was populous. Listen, there were many, many people living in the city of Corinth. Not only was it populous, but it was very proud. Why? Because they were highly educated. Uh, they, were, they were people of status. They were prosperous. They had pretty much had anything they wanted. A lot of philosophy in the day, but notice they were, it was a city and people that were polluted by the things of this world. I think that's what's happening in America today is America is fat. America is polluted with the things of this world. Now notice as you study here, and I'll go through this, when you get to chapters eight, nine, and 10, the big problem, if I wanna call it that, is associated with worldly functions. You see this going on in 1 Corinthians, and it says here the issue was, and look at this question, How should a Christian respond to the gray or questionable areas of the Christian life? Now, let me just say it this way. Sometimes, look, does the Bible say, thou shalt not smoke cigarettes? Does the Bible say that? No. But some people say, well, the Bible doesn't say that, so I can. There may be some in our church that do. That's one of those areas that, if you want to call it that, a gray area or a questionable area because there's not a definitive verse. That You, you guys with me understand what I'm saying? That's just a, an example, maybe a poor example, but it was just one I thought of. Now, when you think about these questionable areas, this is where you get into something that is known as liberalism. Okay? Now, let me define what liberalism really is. It, it refers to people who allow their freedom or the liberty that they have in Christ to become a license to sin. So in other words, you get these people who, watch this, they really are saved. They're Christians. But they have this attitude that, hey, listen, I'm in Christ. I know that I have eternal life. Therefore, I can't lose, which is true, you can't lose your eternal life because you never did anything to get it. God's the one that saved you. But what they do is they use that liberty or that license to do whatever they want. Some people will go out drinking and partying and doing this and doing that, and and they use it as a license to sin. Now notice here, a legalist makes laws and a liberal disregards the laws. So you have one making laws, one disregarding those laws that are made. A legalist sees no gray areas. Did you hear that? Sees no gray areas. There's no gray areas in the Christian life. He develops his own list of do's and don'ts and relies on his list to make him spiritual. By the way, does that sound like the Pharisees? Because that's what they did. They had these parent acts. There were 38 acts that you could not do on the Sabbath. And if you did that, that's where Jesus said, "What what if your ox falls in the ditch? on the Sabbath. Are you going to leave it there? Uh, so understand this is, by the way, Jesus dealt with the Sabbath three times in the New Testament. And so again, a lot of people, They by the way, just because you have a, a list of do's and don'ts doesn't make you any more spiritual than the next person. And a lot of people get very legalistic when it comes to these certain things, these gray areas or these questionable areas. Now let's read on. The real sin of a legalist is they begin to trust the list or their ability to stay true to the list rather than trusting completely in the grace of God. So what they're doing is they're trusting. And this is what many in Corinth were doing. They were trusting in their list. They were trusting in what they could do. By the way, that's called a system of works. It's, it's still rampant today. But notice here, when you trust in yourself, it leads to pride. You become very proud. you know. Remember, remember the man that stood there and said, I'm glad I'm not like the other people. That's the way he was. The one guy was praying and the other guy's like, I'm glad I'm not like him. And so we get, the person gets very prideful. Now, notice this statement. The legalist sees the weakness of man's flesh. He sees that. He, he knows that man is weak and he believes that the only way to keep the flesh in check is is to provide it with strict guidelines so that's what he does that's how he loses his life he tries to develop all these strict guidelines to keep himself keep his flesh in check so look at this they fail to understand the power of the holy spirit that the holy spirit is able to develop an inner discipline in the believer's life providing a far stronger motivator than an outward set of rules look i don't want you as a member of our church and as a christian to do something because I said it. I would much rather you do what you do because the Holy Spirit of God motivated you and prompted you to do that. Look, it's, it is wrong for a pastor to stand up here and browbeat and guilt people to do things because listen, if they do it, they're doing it for him and not for, God, for the Lord. And so we see here that as, as many of these that are very legalistic, they do not understand the power of the Holy Spirit. Now look at this statement. True standards, biblical standards in a believer's life are not the means of spirituality. They are the fruits of spirituality. So, as you, as you look at a person's life, look, it's evidence that God is working in that person's life. That's the fruit that is coming out of those biblical standards. Now, notice, it is not the absence of worldly practices in our lives or faithful service that makes us spiritual separation, listen, separation and service are to be the results of being spiritual. I want to separate myself from the things of this world because this is what the Bible teaches me. This is what God would have for the Christian. And those are the results of being spiritual, not a formula for me obtaining spirituality. Okay, look at the next statement, three statements about this matter of license. Remember I said earlier that what happens is that there are those who have the liberty in Christ. And so what they do is they use that liberty as a license to sin. So notice license sees nothing wrong with anything. I can do whatever I want. You know, I'm saved. Notice st- second statement. License becomes an excuse to fulfill the, 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 the uh, desires of the flesh. Uh, you, you think about the, the cruise line. Listen, there's no mistake they knew what they were doing when they named it carnival. The word carnival is flesh. Like I love carne asada, carna. It is flesh, meat. It's, it, it, it's, it, it deals with the sinful practices of the flesh. And so understand that when people t- abuse the liberty they have in Christ, what they're doing is they're fulfilling the the desires of the flesh. And then notice license becomes a justification for the easy way of doing things. So that's what people do. They justify their actions. Now notice what the Bible says in Jude in verse number four. It says, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were, look at this, before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that word there that Jude uses in verse number four, notice the word lasciviousness. They're turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. That's the word for license. They're they're using and abusing the grace of God and and, and basically it's their justification for living whatever life they wanna live Now, when you apply this to the church in Corinth, listen, yes, the church in Corinth had its share of problems, but I will tell you this. When you study the book, you find that God in his wisdom had the answers. I love the fact That God just doesn't point out all the problems, God gives us the answers. When people ask me, hey, pastor, what about this? Why do we do the Lord's table this way? Why do we give to to the poor? Why do we we not believe in speaking in tongues the way that some movements do today? Listen, all of those answers we find in the book of 1 Corinthians. And so God, in his wisdom, had the answer for the church in Corinth for the problems that they had. Now, the greatest enemy that the church has is not from without, it's actually from within. See, this is what the church in Corinth was dealing with, was people within that body of believers that did not understand things, and they were causing the schisms, they were causing the division, they were causing people to to go to law with one another, they were, they were doing things... Uh, uh, immorally, uh, fornication, and other things. So notice here the, the, the ending statement that conflict robs the church of power, of joy, and effectiveness. And, and, and honestly, listen, that's why God gave us this book, so that we can understand things in the proper light of Scripture, so that, listen, our church, the people that make up Bible Baptist Church and those around us would see a church that has God's power, see Christians that have the joy of the Lord and to see that we're doing what God's given us to do, we're being effective. And this is why Paul wrote to them so that those things could be corrected so that they could be used mightily for God. Hopefully that makes sense to you. Gave you probably a little bit more than you expected tonight, but I wanted to cover that and of course just follow the Lord's leading. Well, let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless all we've heard tonight. And again, you could take some time to go back over it if you need to. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the word of God, Lord, the majestic work that it is. And I pray that you'd help us to understand this, this letter to those in Corinth. Next week, we'll look at the second letter, book of 2 Corinthians, and see what Paul had to uh, address and the purpose behind that. We look forward to uh, next week. But again, help us tonight as we leave to take what we've heard tonight, what we've seen with our eyes and to really just understand it, and Lord, maybe be able to help others to understand it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.